It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Um, this is going to be an interesting and an eclectic show. As I was saying to Steve, sometimes um, you know current events just drive the programs. Um, today, we've got some really interesting topics and some discussions, and I want to let the program breathe a little bit. Pop Culture Corner returns at 2.35, tell you all about that. Um, at 2.08, and I, I almost never have guests on. Occasionally, if there's a newsmaker, we'll be joined by the governor the early part of next week. And yesterday, we had the state Supreme Court candidate, the one conservative candidate, uh, Michael Shinnock, who was on. But but in general, I, I just I don't do guests. As a, but I'm making an exception today. Um, there is a, a, a conference for Republican women in the state. And there's a woman who's one of the featured speakers. Her name is Pe- Peggy, Grande, uh, Peggy Grant. And she... Um, after President Reagan, and I'm like like many people, I, I came to conservatism during the Reagan years. I'm one of those Reagan Republicans, and um, she worked as the president's aide in the the last years of his life um, after he left the White House. And she's written a book, and just a really fascinating lady. And we're going to be talking to her um, in the two o'clock hour. In the one o'clock hour, there's two stories that I have been waiting all day to discuss with you. One involves a restaurant that's decided no kids, and they're getting national, national heat for making this decision. We're going to talk about that. And the right Reverend Jesse Jackson is back in the news. He's shaking down BMW. Um, that is the Jackson modus operandi. We'll talk about all that. But we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Story number one, it is breaking news. The decision in the Berg, Bo Bergdahl court-martial case, came out this morning. Everybody, I think, knows the story of Bo Bergdahl. He is the soldier that walked off his post in Afghanistan. He deserted. He His story is, well, I was unhappy with some conditions on the post. I was going to try to walk 30 miles to go to the larger post so that I could complain about this he quickly got lost got captured by the taliban and was held as a hostage slash prisoner for the better part of five years ultimately president obama decided to arrange a prisoner trade and released a handful of terrorists in exchange for the return of bo bergdahl while bergdahl was in captivity the obama administration saw that he was promoted things like that ultimately he was released now there's no question at all that his years in captivity were horrible. He was tortured by the, the Taliban. Um, but, of course, his captivity started as a result of him walking off his post, him deserting. Um, what happened also is they, the military tasked several missions to try to find him. Now, one of the things that the military now says is that there were no soldiers who directly lost their lives in connection with trying to find him. But there were soldiers that were, it's always kind of murky, because they, they, there were soldiers that were definitely injured in encounters they had because that was part of their mission. Can we try to find Bo Bergdahl? So in any event, he was brought back. Um, he was court-martialed. He ended up entering a guilty plea. Uh, today, uh, a prosecutor recommended that Bergdahl be sentenced to 14 years confinement 14 years confinement the military judge hearing the case rejected the prosecution's view and ordered him uh, essentially released 
He got no prison time at all. He was reduced in rank to private, and he will be dishonorably discharged, which affects his ability to collect benefits in the future. But essentially, um, here's a guy who pled guilty to desertion and misbehavior before the enemy. He was looking at a potential life sentence. The prosecution recommended 14 years. The judge rejected that and has now turned him loose. Defense attorneys describe Bergdahl as a troubled young man who suffered from a personality disorder that made him susceptible to grandiose fantasies and conspiracies and who often was confused about the consequences of his actions. So Bergdahl essentially walks away with no additional punishment other than the fact that he was held in captivity for five years. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think I think this is an abominable decision. I would not argue that he should be put in prison for life. At the same time, it's unfortunate that he was captured. It is unfortunate that he was held as a prisoner for years. But you cannot have people walking off their posts. And I think it is uncontrovertible that you had soldiers that ended up getting injured in what were attempts to try to find him. Now, there might have been other purposes of the mission as well, but you cannot have people walking off their posts. You cannot allow desertion. And we don't shoot deserters. I get it. We don't put them in prison for life, I guess. But I I think... Candidly, I didn't know if he was going to get 14 years, but I'm stunned that he didn't get at least four or five years. 414-799-1620. All right. Did the military judge get this matter right? Bo Bergdahl walks away essentially with no additional punishment. He is demoted rank. He loses benefits, but he doesn't do any time for desertion. I think this is a very, very bad decision. I think it sends a very, very bad message. I think it's an insult to people who have served in combat situations, not only now, but in the past. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1217. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, Bo Bergdahl who's been in the news, well, ever since he walked off his post in Afghanistan, what, seven, eight years ago, um, he finally received what some would describe justice today. Um, a military judge decided that he should not serve any additional prison time. He is to be um, demoted down to private. He's to be dishonorably discharged, which cost him benefits, but no additional time. The military prosecutor had asked for 14 years. I actually thought about five years would be appropriate text line is exploding. Jeff, too light a sentence. Should get life. You're right. It's an insult to all who have served um, and died for their country. All right, here's the flip side. Um, Another one. um, He's been through enough being locked up by the Taliban, the public scrutiny and being stripped of all future benefits. The judge showed empathy, and I feel the sentence was spot on. Hmm. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. The judge certainly showed something. Armando in Green Bay, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I would say he's under the UCMJ, Uniform Court of Military Justice. He's not a civilian. So the military judges are the ones that are going to listen to everything. If that's what they say, that's what they say. As a former Marine, you know, I respect that, you know. He shouldn't be, you know, they listen to the case. 
Mm-hmm. They know. I well, don't. Well, but I mean, what 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 do you think that they heard that that isn't out in the public? I don't know. That's the military. You're not civilian. Well, no, but I mean, I, I guess the, the the question is, do you think it's the right thing or not? I mean, or or do we just blindly defer? Oh, the military judges. The judge must that's, be infallible. When you're, when you're in the military, that's what you do. Yeah, but okay, we're not in the military, Armando. No. You but, you you get but, to decide whether you think it's appropriate or not. I think it was appropriate that that's what the military said because in the military, you don't question the higher command. Well, oh, that's what they say. That's what they say. Oh, okay, but now the, as a civilian. You may question it, yep. but you know what? You don't question it. Well, I, they determined it, and that's what it is. Okay. Well, I think I'm, I'm <clears throat> sorry. I, I don't go down there. I right. The, the decision is apparently unappealable, so that, that the decision is what it is. But that doesn't mean that people, I think, inside the military, while you have to accept it, that doesn't mean that you can't question it um you, you i don't think we all have to say oh my gosh this this military judge he, he must have had this sort of insight that comes from solomon and he gets to make the decision and he's absolutely right no i, I think that's silly i mean yes you have to accept it that's it but i don't also don't accept this notion that we have to just blindly say oh well well of course he he's gotten it right okay let's see bell says good judgment his excuse for leaving his post may have been a lie but he suffered enough Apparently, he wasn't mentally prepared to serve. Well, that's, I think, that's the case. The question is, what do you, what do you end up doing with people who, again, desert their post? Uh, let's see, Kevin texts. Jeff, I agree, you can't have people walking off the post. However, <clears throat> I think his five years of capture was probably worse than 20 years in prison here in the USA. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Oshkosh. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, John, you got to turn down your radio. John, got to turn down your radio. Oh, okay, see, that's... Um, Gru's producing show. You got to remind people. Got to turn down the radio, or else they hear themselves seven seconds later, and it drives, it confuses them, and it drives me nuts. And some people would argue it's not a drive; it's a putt. But that's why you got to turn down your radio. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Larry in Brookfield. Larry, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm good. Okay, was this sentence too light, too harsh, or just about right? I think it was way too light. I'm a veteran, and for him to get away with this, and for a judge, a military judge, uh, unless he was uh, channeling his inner Lynn Edelman, um, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, He heard the testimony of those people who were injured, someone in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. I'm just beyond... uh, I, 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 I have to admit, I am shocked as well. I, I, I never thought he was going to get life in prison, and I, I didn't necessarily think he was going to get what the prosecution recommended, 14 years in prison. But I, I thought he would certainly get four or five years in prison, if nothing else, as a deterrent to others. It's something that says, hey, look, you, you, know, you, you cannot desert your post. There will be a penalty, because I see that as being completely and totally separate from what happened to yeah. him after he deserted his post. Yes, it's unfortunate exactly. he got captured. Yeah, Right, and, and the, now people are, those, those in the service who might be considering that are going to say, well, you know what, I'm not going to desert overseas, because then the Taliban could catch me, and that wouldn't be fun. So right before I'm so supposed to be deployed, then I'll desert. 
Right, because I, I I can't have those consequences. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, look, and I, look, I understand this is a troubled guy. I I, I get it. Um, but the flip side is, how long do you think it is before you know he ends up writing writing the book and they're making the story? The, the, you have some of the lefty Hollywood producers that are going to like, turn him into the sympathetic figure, and they're going to make the movies. He is not a sympathetic figure. He is arguably an immature guy who deserted his post. He deserted his comrades. Um, Jesse and Green Bay texts, wasn't he questioning higher authority on the base? And that's why he left to go to a higher authority. Yeah, he had, right, he had, he he didn't like the way he was being treated on the base, and he decided he was going to walk from his outpost to this larger base, and he felt by doing that, you know, he didn't, didn't think, he said he didn't think people would go look for him. What? I mean, really? You didn't think people were going to go look for you? And, and then he said, well, I, I hope that by walking this 30 miles, I would have gotten more attention to my different cause. Well, all right, didn't work out very well. Bill and Oconomowoc text, the judge should have to go to the families of the soldiers injured looking for him and tell him that he was letting them off. He should have gotten life. Um, yep, yep, yep. I don't know about life. But I do know that I think it is an abomination that he did not receive a greater sentence. Speaking of abominations, another day, another horrible death on the Milwaukee streets. We'll talk about that next. It's 1224. That's big thing number two, and it's coming up. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1227, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Packers are gearing up for a Monday night matchup with the Lions. What does Brett, Brett Huntley need to do to pull off a win? Not throw interceptions, throw some touchdown passes, manage the game. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, shares his thoughts at 7.51 Monday. Be sure to tune in to Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you, you know I frequently question the bizarre decisions coming out of the Milwaukee District County District Attorney's Office, the, the, the whole failed several-year John Doe probe. Earlier this week, we were talking about the inexplicable decision you have the two drifters that go over to the 76 year old man's house in greendale they rob him of what all of 150 or 160 bucks they beat him they suffocate him and the district attorney's office doesn't even charge him with first degree murder it's just it's just a bizarre sort of decision here's another one in that category uh now grew you were not working for me when we were at state fair this summer but one of the big stories from the first day of State Fair is you had a, a couple who were in the, 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 the arena where they do all the livestock shows and stuff, and they decided that, well, okay, I, I guess the spirit moved them, and they decided that they were going to have sex in the building. Um, a woman, and there's all sorts of people there, they, they see the two of these people going after each other like a pair of bunnies in the bunny house. And, you know, one of them takes a couple pictures of this. They call the cops. The people then scatter and run before, you know, the, the cops end up getting there. Lady posts these things on, on social media and all. And it's a big story. Matter of fact, my dear friend Kathleen O'Leary, who runs the State Fair, I was kind of teasing her about this. I said, hey, is this State Fair is for lovers? It gives all sorts of new meaning to that slogan. Well, anyhow, they finally catch the, the couple who are cowering in like a West Allis bar, all right? The district attorney's office has issued charges. The guy has been charged with disorderly conduct for having sex at the Wisconsin State Fair. They have not charged the woman. Now, all I know is, huh, 
it takes two to tango in these sort of things. And, and so if you're going to charge the guy, shouldn't you also be charging the woman? I am just saying that, you know, again, if, if one party gets charged for disorderly conduct for having sex at the Wisconsin State Fair, why don't you charge the other party? And you know them both. I mean, they know who both of them are. Here's the other interesting aspect. Journal Sentinel is reporting that apparently the district attorney's office is considering, considering bringing charges against the woman who took the pictures of the two of these people committing the sex act at the state fair and posting it on social media. But let, me, let me give you an idea, and we've seen this before with John Chisholm. If the district attorney's office spends even 10 seconds or $5 of taxpayer money considering charging the woman who captured these people doing this at the state fair, considering bringing charges against this woman, that is God's way of telling you that the DA's office in Milwaukee has way too much money, and it's a way of sending a message to the legislature that if you're looking to make cuts, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office under John Chisholm is the place to go. Big story number two is coming up. Another day, another horrific death on the streets of Milwaukee. Stick around. 1235, Jeff Ratner, 620 WTMJ. It's a Central Division clash between the Bucks and Pistons tonight in the Motor City. Ted Davis begins our Bucks Shots pregame coverage live from brand new Little Caesars Arena. That is at 540 p.m. on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. All right, another day, another series of stories. Um, one of the breaking news stories, four, of course, juveniles taken into custody late last night after hitting a Milwaukee Police Department squad car. Listen to this story. According to the police, about 11 p.m., officers saw a car parked in the middle of the street on 29th and Locust. Okay, it's about 11 o'clock at night at the time. The officers got out of their squad to walk up to the vehicle to find out why it is parked in the middle of the street. That's when somebody in the car hits the gas and intentionally rams the squad car twice. Um, The officers thankfully were not hurt. It is four juveniles who were taken into custody. Now, what do you want to bet that these four juveniles who decided... Um, it is a school night. Yeah, I mean, they're juveniles. They, it is a school night. Um, they're out at 11 o'clock at night uh, driving a stolen car, actually parked in the middle of the street in a stolen car, and they decide that they, if not trying to run down police officers, were going to ram into the squad car. What do you want to bet that this was their first time at the rodeo? Maybe it is true that yesterday they just woke up and they said, hey, today's the day we're going to go out on a Thursday night and we're going to get a stolen car and we're going to try to ram a Milwaukee squad car. My guess is that all four of these juveniles have been in and out of the criminal justice system on multiple occasions and have been part of the overriding catch and release program. And you know what? They might be, and we might never even know, because if the district attorney's office decides to treat these punks as juveniles again, well, then it's all going to be secret in the juvenile justice system, and we won't know what their records are, and we won't know whether they should or should not be in prison for, again, being in a stolen car and ramming into a squad car. It is why, candidly, juvenile justice records involving crimes like this should not be sealed. The public is entitled to know what's going on in the streets. And the streets, well, the streets are ugly. Here's big story number two. Um, and this is this has been getting a lot of attention. 
This is Wednesday evening, about 9 o'clock, near Southside, Muskego Avenue, and, and Beecher Street. What happens is there's a 36-year-old man. His name his name was Hector Hernandez. He's, he's driving along Beecher Street. He's driving east. He's got the light. So, I mean, he, he goes to a green light. He's doing what... All of us who drive cars do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, tens, 15, 20, hundreds of times. You know, we go through an intersection, we're driving, we've got the light, we go through it. He is killed when a reckless driver at a high rate of speed blows through the red light um, going down Muskego Avenue and smashes into the vehicle driven by the late Mr. Hernandez. There, There is actually a video of this. There's a surveillance camera that kind of shows what happens. And what you see is you can see the vehicle that's hit, you know, by the speeding car, um, essentially turns into a fireball. Um, what happens then is the neighbors hear this loud crash, and a number of the neighbors rush out. They, they try to rescue Mr. Hernandez, the, the victim of this. Um, they, they actually pull him out of a car that's, that's starting to catch on fire. He's taken to a local hospital where he later dies. The people that rammed ran through the red light, slamming into his car and killing him. Their car is not drivable. But they apparently, um, soon as they hit the car, they lose control of their car. It comes to a stop. And then, according to witnesses, they get out and they just run. They, you know, they, they scatter, um, not sticking around at all. And a number of the neighbors are, of course, you know, extremely, they're, they're just irate about this, saying, hey, look, you know, this man is now dead um, We because you have these people who are driving in this sort of reckless fashion and they do this, and then they run off thinking that they're not going to get caught. Well, maybe they're going to get caught. Maybe they're not. Um, apparently, the early reports are that this car they don't think was stolen, so uh, that, that gives the police at least a leg up on trying to figure out who was behind the wheel. But the point is a 36-year-old man is dead, and people who were responsible for it have run off. Now, Alderman Bob Donovan, who deserves, I think, a lot of credit for – uh, speaking truth to power. I mean, th- this is his district, and he came out, and you know, he represents the area, and he, he had a press conference yesterday talking about how you know it's just it's just crazy out on the streets nowadays. And you know, he said, "Look, I don't think necessarily this intersection per se is unsafe." But here's what Donovan says. He says he does believe that Milwaukee is plagued, plagued by unsafe drivers. Right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I could not have said it better myself. I think that when we talk about public safety, there's a couple different things that go on. Obviously, you've got the constant criminal element, the, the juvenile car thieves, the kids that have lengthy criminal records who continue to commit crimes. Then you've got the hardcore repeat criminals who get slapped on the wrist and come out and commit crimes. That is, Those are things that contribute to what is going on. But I think Donovan is exactly right as well. I think the region in general, but the city of Milwaukee in particular, is plagued by people who should not be behind the wheel of a car. People who don't care about red lights, who don't care about speeding, who don't care about anything except trying to drive in a reckless fashion. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Donovan right? 
are we plagued around here by unsafe drivers? Is it worse here than in other places? And I would argue it is. It is. And I've got some theories for why. But what about the basic premise? I mean, look, I understand there's bad drivers all over. But when it comes to dangerous, reckless, unsafe drivers, I think Milwaukee may be the capital, certainly, of the Midwest. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1242. It's 1244. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, I understand that accidents happen. The other night... Sunday night, I, I was driving down this two-lane road, and there God, it, it, it was a two-lane county highway, and the, the speed limit fifty-five, I want to say, maybe fifty, and and all of a sudden, I, I come upon, upon there's a guy who's kind of walking just by the side of the road, wearing all dark clothing, walking into traffic. Now, I mean, I, I wasn't, I mean, I was in the lane and all, but I'm thinking this is a guy. I mean, I, I could understand, given how irresponsible this character was, completely dark clothing, you know, walking into traffic on a 50-mile-an-hour, you know, two-lane highway. I could understand how if something happened to him, that, that would be unfortunate. It would also be, uh, again, what you could call an, an accident. All right, what happened the other night is not an accident. You have a car driving at a high rate of speed, blows through a red light, hits a vehicle, kills the driver, and then the people get out and run from their vehicle, leading you know Alderman Bob Donovan to say Milwaukee is plagued by unsafe drivers. It is. Jerome in Milwaukee. Jerome, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? I think there's a lot of crazy drivers in Milwaukee. I, I commute into Milwaukee every day on a daily basis. And just uh, two weeks ago, I was hit uh, by a guy that was, uh, I was actually driving down Titonia, and I came to the intersection of Titonia and Ruby, and uh, I stopped at the light. And as I was stopping, I saw this guy speeding up uh, to try to pass me on the right, the right lane. When he got close to me, he realized that there was another car in the lane, so he tried to switch back over, causing me to uh, turn to veer away from him and end up missing a, a pole. He hit the pole, cut the pole <laughs> in half, went airborne, and his car ended up upside down, and I ended up running into a brick home. Oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's just crazy because all he had to do was be patient. But, they're, you know, most of these people don't have a license or yep. they are driving someone else's vehicle. This guy did not have uh, – it was his girlfriend's car, and she had uh, limited liability. Right. And uh, you know, it's just crazy. Well, no, no thanks. You're, yeah, right. And see, and that that of course is, that of course is the problem because you know, especially in the city of Milwaukee, we have the, the municipal court judges who bend over backwards in order not to take people's driver's licenses away because they buy this. Well, okay, if we take people's driver's licenses away, even though that they've got horrendous traffic tickets, records, and all, well, if we if we take those away, well, then they're going to have problems getting to and from work. Oh, so they're driving around without any insurance. Oh, what's the big deal about it? Well, it is a big deal. People are dying and being injured and being victimized because of the irresponsible drivers that are out there. In a perfect world, we would say the laws mean something. We would say if you're driving without insurance or you're driving on a suspended or a revoked license and you get caught, well, then there's going to be consequences, starting with seizing the cars. I think that's the key. You want to get this started, you start taking the cars. Oh, well, it's his girlfriend's car. Too bad. Girlfriend shouldn't have let the guy drive it. And if he stole his girlfriend's car, okay, have him say he stole my car and put him in jail for car theft. 414-799-1620. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi, good afternoon. How you doing? Good. You know, um, he, here's the thing. It, it's it's a it's a it's a people problem. You know, within a community, we have a subculture because because we're not going to blanket everybody, but it's a subculture of of, of people that you know. Uh, and and I'm going to use this example. Uh, all right, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was shot. There was a drug investigation with multiple departments and. The argument was that the police approached him in plain clothes, and had he known that they were police, he wouldn't have. He, he wouldn't have shot him, but he shot him because they exactly. were plain clothes. Yeah, right. So, so in other words, yeah, we know he's a criminal, but you know he's not that bad of a criminal, yeah. and and that's the family, and that's the problem. Okay, you have this subculture of people that do not care about the community around them. Mm-hmm. And they, these these guys that get into these accidents, like the one on 35th in Capitol, where a guy killed that that lady and her and her right. little baby, right, right, don't does doesn't care if these people die. Right, most no. of the time they're in a stolen car. It's not their car. They don't care. They're gone into another. They go get another stolen car. Get into another accident. They just run again. Well, exactly. No, thanks to call. And, and of course, what happens then is, in many cases, unless and until they kill somebody, you know, especially if they're juveniles, nothing's going to happen to them. I mean, you have these people that get caught, these kids that get caught stealing 15, 20 cars, and, and they get sent back to their mothers and fathers because we're not willing to lock them up. And, of course, that's, we just, that's just the tip of the iceberg because, as I was saying earlier, we, we keep all the juvenile records secret. So you don't know how horrific it really is on the streets because we're protecting these people. Now, again, I don't know... If it was juveniles driving the car in this particular case, it was four juveniles that tried to run down, that smashed into the squad car twice last night and ended up getting caught. Who knows what's going to happen to them? I don't know if it was juveniles or adults. All I know is a 36-year-old man is dead. And you're right. That story about the woman on Capitol Drive, she's dead. I mean, it's literally you have two or three stories like this a week. And, you know, when, whenever this happens, the, the politicians, and I'm not faulting Bob, Don, Bob, Bob Donovan, he's at least willing to call him out on this, that, you know, they come out and they say, we got to start doing something, we got to do better, but nothing ever happens to it. Now, if you want to get tough on this, like I say, you start when you catch the repeat traffic violators, you take their cars. That simple. Oh, well, how are they going to get around? Who cares? They're not supposed to be driving. You drive without your license, you take the car. Well, that's going to penalize his wife. Okay, the wife, the girlfriend, the brother, the brother-in-law, the pal. All right, that's the risk you have. You give some loser your car, and then they get caught driving it when they shouldn't. You lose your car. That is the consequence of your bad choice. I will tell you this. I guarantee you, if you start seizing cars... You are going to drop the incidence of, I don't know, the reckless driving, but you're going to drop the incidence of uh, the, the people driving without a license or driving without rev- after revocation. You're going to drop it dramatically. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm seeing not just like criminally reckless behavior driving, but I'm seeing a lot of bad decisions and distracted driving mm-hmm. all over the county. Yeah, you mean distracted driving, like people looking at their cell phones and stuff like that. 
Yeah, looking at their cell phones and then like turnouts, you know, veering to the like too close to the center of the street, uh, you know, tailgating things like that. I'm seeing a lot yeah. more more of that uh, all over Milwaukee County now. Yeah, and I, and, I, and Jeff, and thanks for calling. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think there, there's bad driving all, all over. And look, no, nobody ends up being perfect, but. But I think there is a special, a certain subclass of the drivers who just don't care. I mean, who just flat don't care. I'm not talking about the person, you know, who, who looks down and should they do that? No. But I'm talking about the people that are driving recklessly, blow through the red light, hit and kill a person, and then leave the car and run off. That's the type of thing that I'm seeing on a regular basis. And like I say, how many people have to die on the streets? before we start realizing that we need a sea change in our attitude to start holding people responsible. All right, big story number three is coming up. I know it is going to be a heated conversation. This new bill that would reduce and remove any age restrictions on carrying guns in the woods. And after that, all right, do you have to let kids into restaurants? Stick around. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner. 1256, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show, are you any closer to purchasing a new vehicle? You, you, oh, you're, you're moving along because you, you've been trying to do that because your current car that has, like, hundreds of thousands of miles on it, you're getting, what do you say, nine, nine, gal, nine, nine miles to the gallon in that? Okay. It, and, and, and any – Melissa's going, what? Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's a – it's a beater, and he, he'll be the first to say that. It, it, it's a, it is a beater, and he's, he's been telling me the stories about how he's trying to buy one. Well, okay, nine miles a gallon is abysmal in under circumstances, but it's been particularly bad the last week or so because if you haven't noticed, gas prices have gone through the roof. Now, I, I was spoiled because for for the last 30 years, I, I lived, the last 20 years here when I worked at WTMJ, I, I lived about five miles away from, five minutes away from where I worked. Well, now I'm, I'm commuting from Washington County while I'm getting different stuff ready to go. And so I'm driving a lot. Gas prices, I, I swear, about last week they were 230 Today they're up to, in the 260s. Um, and a number of people are saying, what's going on? Here, here's apparently what's happening. And it does show that even though oil is plentiful, um, it, it shows how fragile the system is. Apparently, there's um, we're still experiencing, to the extent you believe what people say, there, we're experiencing, number one, still a little bit of residual effect from Hurricane Harvey, remember, which hit Houston, and you had the big refineries. So some of those refineries shut down or weren't able to produce at full capacity. On top of that, in, in our region, um, apparently where gasoline prices are up, like about 50 to 60 cents from last year, what, what's happened is that one of the big pipelines that supplies, that carries gas from the Gulf to our area has been operating on reduced capacity since late October while the company was making repairs to the pipeline. Apparently, they started pumping at normal levels day before yesterday, but but that's why there, there's always kind of it's a lagging indicator. So if you're wondering why you're paying a ton more of money at, at the pump, hopefully it will be a temporary thing. It's Hurricane, it's Hurricane Harvey, and it's this, this problem with one of these pipelines. But it is one of these things that still demonstrates how fragile this infrastructure system ends up being. So um, hang in there. It will probably get better. All right, big story number three is coming up. Republicans in the legislature proving that, 
Democrats don't have exclusive rights when it comes to bad ideas are thinking about eliminating any any age requirements on hunting. I would describe this charitably as being a solution looking for a problem. If I wasn't being charitable, well, I'll tell you how I describe that as well in just a minute. It's coming up. 1259, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three. Now, this just proves, at least in my mind, that Democrats don't have a monopoly on bad ideas. Now, a lot of ideas that, that come when Democrats are in control of government are, are really, really bad ideas. But but every once in a while, Republicans will do the, the same. And, and that's that's true in the state legislature. The assembly on what was largely a party-line vote, but not exclusively, has just passed a law which would eliminate Wisconsin's minimum hunting age. Now, believe me, I appreciate that hunting is a tradition in this state. I get it. I understand that. And I also understand that um, hunting, less it's an activity. Even though there's still a lot of people, what they'll sell about 600,000 deer licenses uh, you know, later on this month. But, but even though it, it is this tradition, it, it's fewer and fewer people, have, fewer people have been doing this. So you, you want to inspire younger generations to participate in this. I, I get all that. The way the law works now, though, is currently in order to purchase a hunting license, um, you have to be 12 years old. Um, in order to hunt with a gun, you need to be 12 years old, unless you are participating in what they call a mentored hunt hunt, hunt when you're out with, with family members. Children as young as 10 can hunt under that program. Under this Republican-authorized bill, um, the age limits would disappear. Children of any age could be could participate in a mentored hunt. All right. So that means if you want to take your six year old kid out and sit him in a deer stand or have them walk through the woods with you, you could do that. Um, also, this measure would eliminate the requirement that a hunter and a mentor only have one firearm between them. So under this law, if you wanted to give a deer rifle to a seven-year-old and have them walk through the woods with you or sit in your deer stand with you, you could do that. All right. Now, I understand the argument that we want to trust parents and we want to make this a family activity. But at, at, the, same, at the same time, all right, we're, we're talking about potentially giving people the right to give guns and send them out in the north woods to really young children now i understand people are going to say well we should be trusting the parents to make the right decisions well gruel remember two days ago we were talking about that story up in sockville where you had the idiot 29 year old woman who buys the the waiting pool that won't fit in her car so rather than having it delivered or waiting to pick it up to somebody who had a decent-sized car, she straps it on the top of her car and then takes her 9-year-old son and straps him on top of the wading pool holding it down and then drives off. 
And when the cops pull her over, her line is, well, I don't understand what the big deal about this is. My father used to do this all the time. All right, do you want that lady making the decision to send her 7-year-old kid out into the woods carrying a high-powered rifle? I'm just saying this strikes me as the ultimate example of a of a solution that is looking for a problem. And candidly, I guess I, I see, I mean, I, I see no, re- I understand that you want kids to be able to participate and you want people to, you know, be able to go out and be with mom and dad. But do we really need to be giving firearms to children under the age of 10 and sending them out into the North Woods? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, now let me ask you this. Are you a hunter? Yes. I'm okay. 64 years old, and I've been hunting since I was, I, I guess I took hunter safety at that time to start hunting at 12. So I've been okay. hunting a lot of years. Um, and two things. First off, I, sometimes I even question if, if 10 is old enough. Um, you know, I don't care if you're Sheldon Cooper, six years old. You're not old enough to make judgments that are life and death. And I also agree with you. My fear is not so much that a lot of kids aren't mature enough, but there's a lot of parents out there that I really question their judgment, and they're going to let the kid go just to let him go, and and, uh, that just doesn't work. And then secondly, the other issue I have is this two-gun rule. Um, If you're mentoring somebody, that's what you should be focusing 100% of your attention on. Right. It's what that, that who you're mentoring is doing, and this argument that Clayfish had, well, what if a guy's only got a week to hunt? Well, if you care about your kids or who you're mentoring, you can give up that week or find one day there to hunt. But when you're in the woods with a kid that young and you're teaching them to hunt, you shouldn't be focusing on hunting. You should be focusing on how that kid is holding and, and you know, and using that firearm. Well, well, right. And look, and I also understand, Steve, that, that, that there, are, there are kids who learn how to shoot before the age of 10. I mean, whether it's like shooting clay pigeons or whether it's, you know, under the supervision of mom and dad shooting at targets or something like that. But that's a controlled environment. That's different than sending them out, you know, into the North Woods where there's other hunters that are around, arguably with a high-powered rifle. I just don't see, I, I don't see any reason for allowing seven or eight-year-olds to be taking shots. I, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I agree 100%. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. And, and for this argument that, well, you know, we don't think government should making be making these decisions as to when kids do this. Well, okay, we, we say that you can't drive a car until you're 16 year, years old. I mean, we, we do make these various decisions. And um, you know, somebody just texted me saying, well, what, what age do you think it would be appropriate? Well, actually, I, I think, to, to me, I, I think 12 for again if you've had the hunter safety course for you know carrying the gun yourself or 10 participating in the mentored hunt where there's only one gun between you and dad or you and mom i i think that i think that makes sense the idea of eight-year-olds sitting in a deer stand um with their high-powered rifle i it is candidly again like i describe it as i think it is a a solution that is looking for a problem Let's talk to John in Madison. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I totally agree with your statements and also the last caller. Children don't have the maturity to handle a high-powered weapon or any weapon. In my day, I went to Monona, and we had Hunter, um, Hunter Safety taught to us as a, uh, an elective when I was young. 
And in my day, you had to be 14, I believe, to uh, receive your hunter safety, which we did, and you had to pass the test. Then you could actually go out and hunt. But I, uh, I just don't, I think this is insane. We're asking for some really big problems in the woods. Well, well, right. Now, I, I will tell you, I'm getting all these emails from people saying, well, Jeff, don't you realize that on their own property, you know, I mean, if mom and dad want to give the kid a, a gun, they can go out and they can, you know, shoot at targets or whatever on their own property. What is the difference? Well, I think there's, I think, okay, you're, yeah, see, I guess that's my reaction. I mean, I, I think there's a huge difference between saying, okay, you know, on your own property, you can go shoot at targets, and, oh, hey, you're seven years old, here's a high-powered rifle, go walk through the North Woods when there's 600,000 other people trying to get a buck. Exactly, <laughs> and here's the other thing is, I'm not the one that's walking on their property, but if I'm hunting in the woods during hunting season, then I don't want that seven-year-old with a rifle anywhere near me. And yeah. Real quickly... Yeah, no, I mean, thank, I'm sorry, your, your, your cell phone's dropping. Well, that that's the other thing. From a perspective of, I, I don't know, just, just overall hunter safety, um, I mean, for, for everyone else that's out there, I mean, do you really want the lady that thought it was a good idea for her nine-year-old kid to be strapped on top of her car holding down uh, the, the wading pool, do you really think it's a good idea for that lady to be making the decision to send her nine-year-old kid into the deer stand or walking through the woods with his own high-powered rifle? I mean, and, and again, is I, I appreciate this idea that we want to encourage the whole t- hunt, hunting culture, that we want to get kids involved in these things, and I'm all in favor of that. I'm just thinking... I don't know. There are, I think, some reasonable limits. Uh, Kevin in Belgium sends me a text. I wonder if children are emotionally ready to take the life of a deer and see the blood and guts if they're involved in the whole process. I mean, I think that's that that's an interesting, you know, question as well. All right. Here's a text. No reasonable parent is going to let our young child do that, but they should have the opportunity to buy additional licenses and hunt with a parent. Well, they have an opportunity to hunt with a parent now. It's just if you're going to, if you're going to be one of, if you're going to take the shot, you've got to be at least ten, and you've got to, you know, have the mentor that, that's around. I don't. That doesn't strike me as being this unreasonable, you know, sort of situation. I mean, it just it, it doesn't. Let's talk to Nick in Milwaukee. I'm sorry, Rick in Milwaukee. Nick on six and six twenty WTMJ. Nick, good afternoon. Yeah, I'm a 15 year hunter safety instructor and a little hesitant about the mentor program myself. But they keep saying this emphasis about having these young young kids harvesting an animal. It's like you don't have to hit a home run when you're at bat. You can get a single or a walk. Learn the woods. Go out when you're six, seven, eight, nine. Learn sign. Learn trail, habitat, movement, and all that. Not whether you kill an animal or not. That's not a hunter. That's just a shooter. Hunting is the whole gambit, and they don't need guns when they're that young. They can go with dad, and they can see the deer and learn how to hunt. And then when they get mature enough to be able to handle a firearm, well, then they're ready to go. Well, well that's. I'm glad you called because I mean, right? Right now, under the law. If if Dad wants to go sit in the deer stand, there's nothing that stops Dad from from taking his seven year old son or daughter and having him or her up in the deer stand, right? I mean, the, the kid just can't have a gun. Right. You could always do that. Right. Or, you know, exactly. So, I mean, what is it about why does the kid, the child, you know, need to have a firearm, you know, at their own firearm at the age of seven or eight? That's what just makes no sense to me. You can because still participate. They want, yeah. Because they want to be able to say, 
to kill a deer or to kill a turkey or to whatever it is. That's not hunting. That's just shooting animals. Hunting is so much, so much more. Yeah. It's everything that goes with it, the experience, the in the woods, the no video games, the nature, learning sign, learning trails, learning movement. That's, right. You know, you can go shoot, shoot fish in a barrel if you want. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I guess, I guess see, that's the, that's the thing. I I get the family, the history, and the tradition of hunting. I, I understand that, and I, I think it's absolutely tremendous if, if, if for whatever reasons, you know, you want to, you know, first night of deer camp or whatever, you know, you want to take your, your small children along with it. I, I think that's great. But like he says, there, there's nothing that stops you if you want to sit in that deer stand, you know, and spend quality time and, and appreciate, you know, nature. And this is what being a hunter is all about. There's nothing that says you can't do that with your seven-year-old. It's just, does the seven-year-old need to have their own rifle? 121, this is Jeff Wagner. 124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How will a small community like Mount Pleasant handle a big project like Foxconn? John and Melissa share some new inside information with you at 420 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Look, I, I'm all about getting government out of people's lives. I, I, I am, I am, I am. Um, I'm just saying this particular, the system we have in Wisconsin makes sense to me. Matter of fact, when we made the different changes, I defended it. 12 years old. After you've taken hunter safety, you can go off, you can have your own gun, you can go in the woods. I think that's reasonable. Some people were appalled at that. I thought that's fair. Ten years old, in a mentored hunt, so you're with mom, you're with dad, you're with your older brother, you're with your uncle. Uh, But, again, in that situation, only one gun between the, the two of you. I thought that was a reasonable thing. This new legislation, which would essentially say, okay, the restrictions are gone, and if mom and dad want to take a six- or seven-year-old into the woods and give them a high-powered weapon, it's okay. Now, now some people would say, well, nobody would do that. Well, okay, you'd think that nobody would tie their child on the top of a, of a van to try to you know, weigh down a, a pool that's on the top of the van, but yet they do it. I mean, do we really need something like this? Victor in Milwaukee. Victor, you're on 620 WTMJ. I'm so- Hi, Victor. Say. I have one question about that uh, hunter safety thing. Okay. The young guys, go, kids going out with a rifle. If these seven and eight and ten year olds go out to get go hunting with their dad or their mom, what's the odds of them being able to shoot and handling the recoil of the rifle when they pull the trigger? They could lose control of their rifle as soon as they put to pull the trigger. That bullet or the shotgun shell can fly. Anywhere there. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, th- see, and that's that's one of the differences when people say, "Well, Jeff, don't you realize that if in in rural Wisconsin, if you want to if you want to take your your seven year old kid out and you want to let them shoot at targets or or clay pigeons or something on their own property, you you can do that, and and that's that's true. You can do it, and I'm not arguing you shouldn't be able to. But isn't that different than having you know a a kid? And I say kid, you know, a seven, eight-year-old kid walking around the North Woods with 600,000 other potential deer hunters with a high-powered rifle where the projectile is going to travel. If you miss your target, the projectile is going to travel, what, a half mile or a mile. I just I, – I just – this is one of the, these things, and I, I understand the, the NRA likes it. 
Uh, a lot of the, the pro-hunting groups like the Safari Club, they like this. And I get the idea that you want kids to participate and you want to keep the tradition of hunting going in the state. I also understand that there might be some ulterior motives. Hey, does this is this going to mean we're going to be able to sell more hunting licenses? Can we generate revenue? I just think... This is a fundamentally bad idea, and I'm not an anti-firearms guy, and I'm a small government guy. It's just the idea of seven-year-olds traipsing through the woods carrying high-powered rifles gives me a little bit of a pause. Just saying. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. They are the 300 defending 300 million. Go inside America's top nuclear defense base with exclusive video and more. It's all in the features tab of WTMJ Mobile's app. When you're there, uh, check out the various podcasts, including your ability to download the podcast of this show. I know lots and lots of people do it, and I very much appreciate it. You can timeshare so you don't miss time shift, so you don't miss um, anything. Uh, this is the Friday program, and actually, as I said at the beginning, we're we're kind of at a point where I, I get to do some topics that kind of let the show breathe a little. Um, this has been one of those weeks where the, the the story of the news, whether it's the Republican tax plan, which all in all, I, I think is a is a decent step. I think it simplifies it, and I think for many, many people, it will have a benefit, and anything that gets away, does away with the alternative minimum tax is something I'm in favor of. So you had that, you had the New York Terrorist Act, Act, and so sometimes this week has been, there's been so much going on that it sort of drives what you have to talk about, but we're kind of taking a breath and talking about some stuff today that I've been wanting to get to all week. All right, here's the story. There is a pizza restaurant down in, in, in Tampa, Florida. Um, it's called Hampton Station. It's a beer garden and a pizza restaurant. And it's been in business since 2015. And it's a, it, it's a, it's a casual place. You know, again, it's, it's one where you've got the interior of the restaurant and then you've got like a beer garden in the back. And it, it's a beer and pizza place. So we're not talking about, you know, formal fine dining where you're going to go in and you're going to drop fifty, seventy-five, a hundred dollars a plate. It, it is, it's a pizza. It's a pizza joint with beer and all. Maybe a little bit upscale is the sense I get. But but again, it's it is what it is. So um, when they opened in 2015, they intentionally and, and apparently it's a it's in sort of a changing neighborhood in in Tampa. From what I understand, um, there, there's some you know there are some kind of crime issues and stuff and things like that. So that's kind of the background. When they opened. They intentionally went after a family-friendly atmosphere. Um, their patio courtyard apparently had like action figures holding order numbers on on tables. So I mean that they were going after the kind of the family crowd. Well, they have created a huge problem now because the owners have just recently announced that children are are not welcome. They now have a policy: no children. Um, you know, kids under whatever age aren't going to be allowed to come into the restaurant. And the way they explain this is the owner says, look, we, we tried this family-friendly thing, but the problem is a lot of kids couldn't keep their kids under control. And he said well, what would happen is people would bring in their children, and the children would be running all around the restaurant, and they would be stir- disturbing other diners. They said they had another situation where, again, their, their patio apparently backs up to 
a busy a busy street and they've had situations where first of all you know they had kids that would be again unsupervised by their parents that would run out from this patio and run into the street and so the owner is thinking okay i've got these liability issues they also then say that apparently there's um nearby hotels that have what they describe as unsavory elements and and the owner said i I just kind of think it's a recipe um for disaster so you know what they've decided to do is they've decided again to to ban children at at the restaurant they're saying okay you know children are are just not welcome the the sign simply says you know no children on on the door um people have become outraged by that how dare you i mean you're a pizza place you know how dare you you implement this policy we're never coming back there with or without our kids Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, all right, this is this comes from the perspective who has no children myself, but if you're a longtime listener to this program, you know that my niece and nephew are the light of my life. My, after having just gotten married, I now have, I have two stepdaughters and I have four step-grandchildren who, Call me Grandpa Jeff, or at least I think that's it. I'm having trouble dealing with this, but they're wonderful kids. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're wonderful kids, and there's all sorts of family places that we end up going. At the same time, you've got this owner for a variety of reasons, including the fact that you know he feels that it was hurting his business because you had out-of-control children that were in there. Is this guy the devil? Is this business owner, again, it's a upscale pizza place, but it's a pizza place nonetheless, is he in the wrong for making a decision that children are not welcome in his establishment? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To be real clear here, and again, I, I've got nothing against kids, but I certainly can understand a business owner's perspective on this. There are some businesses that are going to want to cater to families, and you want to be able to have that sort of experience Bring your kids in, and when you go to a place that you know is going to be a family-oriented thing, a Red Robin, for example, you know you know that there's going to be kids that are going to be running around, and you put up with that a little bit. But if that's not the environment you want, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with an owner saying, no, this is going to be an adult sort of situation. Kids are not welcome. And candidly, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of adults, including a lot of parents, who would welcome that because... Maybe it's a situation where you've got the three kids at home and it's your opportunity to go out on date night with your spouse. And the last thing you want on that night is to have other people's kids running out of control through the restaurant. 414-799-1620. Would you patronize a place that had a no children policy? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. I, my answer is I, I would. I would. It might cost them some business, but my guess is it's going to get them a lot of other business. 142. We're back in just a couple minutes to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, what makes this story a little bit different is normally when we hear the restaurants getting in trouble for the no kids policies, it's it's fine dining establishments. And I think that one's clear. I mean, if you're uh, okay, if you're talking about uh, a place where You're going to be spending a lot of money, and you go for that that sort of nice evening out. 
you, you understand that and you expect that the, the atmosphere is going to be different than, say, a Denny's or a Red Robin. And the, the last thing you need is, you know, some, some five- or six-year-olds. And I love kids. But, you know, running around when you're there at, again, the fine dining establishment. That's where it typically happens. Now, in this story we're talking about, that this pizza place in Tampa is a little bit of an upscale pizza place, but it's still a pizza place. But the owner just said, hey, look, I, the, the problem is we started off trying to be family-friendly, but what happened is people just wouldn't watch their kids. And so they, they started... First of all, running around, I was concerned with liability. We've got this patio that backs up on a busy street. I'm afraid some kid's going to run into traffic and get killed. And on top of that, the kids were running around, and they were interfering with the enjoyment of other patrons. So the guy says, no, you know, no, no kids. And, of course, he's getting beaten up mercilessly on social media. I, candidly, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what he's doing. And, actually, I think that... This may actually help business because I suspect that there's a lot of people, perhaps even parents, who are going to say, you know what, um, I, I'm looking for a good pizza and a couple beers, and I want to go to a place, and I don't want to have the kids around. Let's see. Uh, one of our texts, Brian. Jeff, I love my children to death, and I spent the last 25 years raising them, but sometimes it's nice to just get away and enjoy a meal without them. So, yes, I would patronize the restaurant. Tim in Milwaukee. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just actually wanted to, to your last point, I'm wondering sort of the opposite might take effect, though. So personally, I don't have a problem with him doing that. He's a private business owner. He can make up whatever he wants to do for his, for his rules for the restaurant. But I wonder if he's had all of these children coming to the restaurant thus far, and now he's saying, no, you can't come. I'm wondering how many people he'll actually lose mm-hmm. by doing that and whether or not he's sort of taken the long view for... That right. decision. I mean, I'm sure he's a smart businessman. He maybe has, but that's a question. I wonder if right. Has. You you wonder whether it's going to be a net positive or a net negative. The the families that came was because they could bring their kids by turning them away. Will will you not replace that with people who say, hey, "I think this is a pretty good idea." It's not going to be kids. Um, so you're wondering how that's it all panned out. Yeah. Yeah. Would that's you would you be inclined to patronize a place that had a policy like this? I think I would yeah. in certain instances, yes. I think for, like, a date night with my wife, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me right. Yeah, oh. th- thanks. For, I mean, me, me too. I mean, I... I, I, I wouldn't. This is this is not an anti-child sort of thing. And like I say, there are some restaurants that you go to that you expect, you know, you're, you're going to be around kids. I mean, you go to the Denny's, you go to the Red Robin, whatever. You, you expect that there's going to be a certain atmosphere there. You expect that there's going to be kids. Matter of fact, I had a, I, I knew a guy, I worked with a guy once who, he just always, whenever they'd go out to restaurants, he'd just always tell the waitress in the beginning, he, he had three kids, and he said, just, you know, you're going to get a really nice tip. I, I promise you this. <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's it. And, and I get it. There, there's an experience, and there, there's certainly a market like that. But I also think that there is a market for a place that says, all right, this is the atmosphere that we are trying to convey. Now, in the case of this particular owner as well, you know, maybe it's bull. I, I don't know. But, but he's saying, hey, look, the reason I had to do this is it's just that the parents wouldn't control the kids, which, of course, raises that whole larger point where, you know, what do you do if you're – if you're the owner of a restaurant like this and you're trying to balance it out, you probably don't want to turn away the business. But at the same time, you know, after you watch the umpteenth kid run out in the road and almost get hit by a car, at some point in time, you know, you, you probably have to say, well, if the parents aren't going to control the kids and, and you know inevitably 
if something ends up happening, I'm going to get sued as well. And do you have to say enough is enough? Mike in Sussex. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Hey, you know, the owner can do whatever he wants. It's his restaurant. He could own a, a McDonald's and say no kids. That'd be dumb, but he right. could do it. The problem for me isn't the business owner's decision how to run his own business. It's this outrage over it. Come on. Who are the children and who are the adults? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, it's right. It's it's a business, and if if you're one of the the Tampa moms who's just so upset about this on social media, take your kid. T- that's what Chuck E. Cheese is for, or, or whatever the equivalent is. If if exactly. you want that experience, go to it. Just let the people. And, and this guy will. This guy, his business will rise or fall based on the decision that he's made. Exactly, and don't be childish by trolling him on the social media, giving him. You know, lousy reviews on Yelp and all of that kind of stuff. Just accept it and move on. Um, I, I I couldn't agree more. It's it's just this this is that this is that policy, and it's not necessarily saying you hate children. It's just hey, this I'm trying to create a a certain environment, and yes, this, this isn't particularly. All right, we're all right. We're, we don't want the five and six and seven year old kids. Not that we don't love five and six and seven year old kids, but that's not what we want in this particular place. So take them some other place where they will be more comfortable. And again, we'll live with this decision. Um, okay, our text line has just exploded about that. Uh, let um, this whole thing. Um, let's see. I wish theaters did um, some movies without kids as well. Hmm, interesting thing. Uh, Ken and Greendale text. I do think. Uh, no matter what restaurants are in, it's the parents' responsibility to keep the children under control so the other patrons can enjoy their evening. I agree with you completely, but they don't. I, I mean, you know, they, they don't. We, we, we all know that. That's one of the things where, you know, the, the kids misbehave and then the parents just kind of look the other way. Dan text that makes that point. Some parents with small children in restaurants are like dog owners who look the other way when their dogs are pooping on someone else's lawn. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I have been, this is another text, I have been in the bowling industry for over 20 years. We are family friendly, but I have to say, it's not the kids, it's the parents. As the years have gone by, there is a definite culture change in how parents parent, or shall I say lack of parenting. There are times I have 10 kids running laps in the bar area during birthday parties. If we say anything to the parents, then we become the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, see, that's... That's the issue at, at at all. And again, I'm sure this isn't a decision that you come to lightly, especially when you start off with the idea of, hey, you know, we want this to be a place where you know you bring your your family too. But at the same time, um, you know, what's what's wrong with this? And again, the guy will live or die on this experience. I mean, there are restaurants that I won't go to. Because they're just so overwhelming. Um, Gru, who's producing the show. Dave & Buster's. You ever been to Dave & Buster's, the one out by Mayfair? Okay. Um, I I took, my, my brother and I took my nephew there. And now, now, Dave & Buster's is, it's geared for little kids, teenagers, and like 20-somethings. I mean, it's got it's got games. It's got. I'm, I'm sorry if you run a Dave. But it's got awful food. I mean, the, I'm, I'm. I'm just. This is my opinion. I'm not a restaurant critic, but the food isn't good. 
Um, but but regardless, that that's not the attraction. The idea is you go and you play the games and stuff. I I just you know I mean I went to Dave and Buster's a couple times and I I just said I'm not going to go to Dave and Buster's because the food isn't good and and it's just so overwhelming. It, it it's the type of place you got kids running around all over. It's it's loud, but that's that's it. Everybody's running back and forth to get tokens and things like that. But I understand that's what their business model is. God bless them, you know. And I'm and I'm sure Dave and Buster's is is packed on you know Friday and Saturday nights with people you know going out on dates and things like that. And that's great. That's their business model. It's really not geared for somebody like me. And that's okay. I'm 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 very very cool with it. Um, a Dave and Buster's wouldn't implement a no kids sort of policy because they thrive on 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 the kids. Um, but I get to make that decision. Do you want to patronize the place? And I I simply I, I say no. Even when I was younger, I think Dave and Buster's wouldn't have done much for me. It's one fifty four. This is Jeff Wagner. One fifty seven. Jeff Wagner six twenty. WTMJ coming up in about ten minutes. We're going to be talking to the woman who was Ronald Reagan's post presidency executive assistant uh, fascinating story she's got a book out we'll be discussing we'll talking to her about that i i told this story the, the other day i had my physical um my annual physical uh earlier this week i think it was tuesday morning I had it and i we got to the point in the physical where for, for years and years the, the staple of physicals has been um in an effort to determine prostate cancer or other cancer there's been the, the the manual examination. Everybody knows what I'm talking about here. So we get to that point in, in physical where it's normally like, you know, drop your drawers and stuff. And my doctor says, we don't do this anymore. And I said, what do you mean we don't do this anymore? He said, no, we, we've determined that it, it's just not it's not worth it, that we've got these tests, you know, for prostate cancer. We run this blood test and check your PSA and that type of thing. So we don't do this anymore. To which I said, you mean, doc? I've been going through this for the last, like, 35 years, and it's worthless. And he said, well, I don't know what to say. But I, I just I wonder what's going to be next. I bring this up because there's a huge study that came out yesterday. Heart stents, and this is the most common procedure that they use to relieve chest pains in hundreds of thousands of patients each year. I mean, these are stents are like these tiny wire cages that they put in to open blocked arteries. And there's a new study out that, that says... Most of the times, okay, if you're in the middle of a heart attack, you use these, and they still work. But most of the time, they use these in patients who have a blocked artery and some chest pain that occurs for, like, walking up and down a hill. Um, some people get stents when they have no pain at all, just blockages. And what they're saying is these new studies out, these stents don't do anything. I mean, the, the hundreds of thousands of procedures that they're doing a year, um, apparently this new study suggests this is just absolutely worthless which makes me wonder again, what's next? So we're doing away with the rectal examinations. Stents have apparently been overused. Are we going to wake up some morning and people have been, are going to say, hey, you know, we've been telling you all these warnings about smoking and eating fat? Well, never mind. Now, I don't think so. But you, you do wonder how much stuff that we've been doing over the years that has been unnecessary. Just asking. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There are a number of Veterans Day activities around the area over the weekend. I, I want to call your attention to one that I have been proud to participate in for, I believe, the last six years. This is the sixth year of Operation Honor, which is a salute to veterans. It is put on by the city of Waukesha, and it's um, going to be held this Saturday, which would be tomorrow, starting at 4.30. I'm going to be the master of ceremonies. 
The mayor, of course, is going to be there. Our featured uh, speaker, the, the topic of the presentation is called Welcome Home Warrior. It's by Eric Beach, who is the president of Project Echelon. He's a U.S. Army veteran. Um, we're going to have a musical performance by the um, Navy band Great Lakes. And there's going to be a dinner, free dinner, that starts at 5 o'clock p.m. So um, we, we've had just huge attendance over the course of the last several years. It's something that continues to grow, uh, you know, year by year. So we hope to see a lot of people out there. It is the sixth annual um, Salute to Veterans out in the city of Waukesha tomorrow at uh, 4.30 and hope to see a lot of people there. All right. Um, when I... When I got out of law school, my first job was in the U.S. Attorney's Office as a federal prosecutor. And um, it was interesting because Ronald Reagan was the president at the time. And you can kind of do do the math. I had a chance to meet President Reagan on two or three occasions. And I, like like many people, I, I, came, to, I, I came to politics um, and came to adulthood at, at the time Ronald Reagan was revitalizing the conservative movement. I understand there's other people who say, well, you trace it back to Barry Goldwater and things like that. But there, there is no question that if you look back on influential politicians slash presidents and, and people who have shaped the state of politics in 2017, I, I think a lot of it goes back to, to President Reagan, who, in my opinion, stands as uh, certainly the greatest American president of my lifetime. Now, President Reagan left office in 1988, but his influence is still uh, felt today. I'm very pleased to be joined right now on the line by Peggy Grandy. And after President Reagan left office, he retired. Um, Everybody understands he had some health issues as well. But from 1989 until 1999, uh, Peggy was the executive assistant to President Reagan. She's going to be in Wisconsin this weekend speaking to a a group of Republican women at their statewide convention. But we're now joined by uh, Peggy Grandy. Peggy, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on your show today, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, welcome to Wisconsin. You also, I'd be remiss also if I didn't say that you have a, a book that came out earlier this year um, called The President Will See You Now that really talks about your, your decade of working with President Reagan. Correct. It's just a front row seat to everything that I witnessed and experienced, you know, what it was like to sit outside this iconic man's door every day. And I take you into work with me and you get to see him as I saw him and travel with him and visit with him in his home and with Mrs. Reagan and just see how the world responded to this man. What what type of guy was President Reagan? Well, for those who love Ronald Reagan, they will not be surprised to find that he was equally as wonderful, if not even better, as they thought he was. He was warm and likable and funny and appreciative and very humble. Um, you know, I got to see him behind the scenes when he, the cameras weren't rolling, when he thought nobody was watching. But as his executive assistant, of course, I'm always watching. And so how wonderful to see that there was no disconnect between his public persona and his private persona. You know, one of the, the things as well, and, and I mean, again, I, I only met him in, in formal situations a couple times. But, you know, you always heard the stories about the, the great love affair between him and Nancy. That's, that wasn't just a fiction created by, by writers, right? That was true. That was absolutely true. And watching them behind the scenes just interacting, you know, here they were well advanced into their years, and you would often go around the corner of the office and find them hugging or kissing. Secret Service kind of posted with their backs turned, you know, (laughs) giving them a moment of privacy. But 
They were so incredible. You'd see them on opposite sides of the room, and it was almost like two magnets that had to find their way back together. They were never just standing side by side, but he'd reach over and hold her hand or have his arm around her, and there truly was a true love affair and so beautiful to watch. Now, when when President Reagan left office, he went into kind of like a sort of semi-retirement, but you had the opportunity to travel the world with him, right? And and, and he continued to keep up relationships with a lot of the, the leader, the world leaders at the time, right? Yes. You would think that at that point he had served as President of the United States for eight years that he would want to retire. He did spend a little time at his ranch and a little time on the golf course, but he really kept a very aggressive schedule, um, traveling and speaking and receiving visitors in his office. And those visitors did range from world leaders. People came from all over the globe to pay their respects to him, even in those final years where they didn't need to for diplomatic or protocol reasons, but they came because they wanted to. They had a relationship with him that they wanted to continue. And then beautiful moments, too, watching him interact with everyday patriotic Americans who had written to him and wanted an opportunity to meet him and shake his hand and thank him for all the wonderful changes that had happened in their life as a result of him. It was just a remarkable, impactful experience that changed my life forever. Peggy, why do you think Ronald Reagan was so universally Loved even by people who who didn't necessarily agree with his politics, mm-hmm. but he, he just just beloved. What what was it about President Reagan that that brought that out? Yeah, there was a special charm, and it, it's true. Even people who didn't like his politics couldn't help but like him personally. I think it was he he took his role as president seriously, but he didn't take himself too seriously. He had a great sense of humor, which he approached life with. Um, He used humor as a great tool to diffuse tension, to break the ice, maybe an icy relationship. And he was comfortable in who he was and knew who he was and who he wasn't and was unapologetic about both and just lived life with a true optimism and always looked for the best in others, too. And and that becomes very contagious when you're around that all the time. Okay. Do you have, do you have like, just between us, do you have that, that, that one special story when, when somebody says, you worked with President Reagan for 10 years as, as his essentially executive assistant? You know, is there that one story that just, that you, that really capsulizes Ronald Reagan? You know, it's interesting because he was known as the great communicator, and people always want to know, what was the greatest thing he ever said to you? And it's not really even what he said to me that stands out. It's how he treated me. You know, I was a very young woman working for him. He was a very elder statesman, and the respect he treated me with, the old-school gentlemanly manners. um, Of course, there was a familiarity from working closely together, but always that formality um, that was there in our relationship as well and how beautiful to see that old school manners of civility and kindness and I think that's what people on both sides of the political aisle are looking for still today as a reminder of the best of who we could be as Americans and he, he really embodied that and also was the embodiment of the American in dream you know here was a man who would come from middle of nowhere came from poor circumstances a father who was an alcoholic his life path was certainly not one that you would look to wind him up in the Oval Office, and yet only in America is is that something like that possible. And only in America can a young girl like me wind up <laughs> at the feet of somebody like that. You know, I, I think what's, what's really amazing for people now, and what people don't realize is when President Reagan left office in January of 1989, his approval rating was, was almost 70%. And that's just, right. I mean, you, you mean, when you think about that now, I mean, there, there's no politician that, that has an approval rating that's going to be anywhere close right. to that. He was a special guy. 
He was. And at the time, of course, I realized I worked for a great man. But I think history looks back and realizes that he was a giant among greats. And I would say that the success of his presidency, he never attributed to himself. But he always looked back with fondness and pride, saying, we, the American people, did great things together during the 1980s. And, and that's why I believe people had a fondness for him. It was because they, they were proud of who they were as Americans, and they were proud of what America was on the world stage when he was president. Uh, on, a, on a more difficult note, um, you, you worked for President Reagan as an executive assistant from 1989 to 1999. As I recall, it was... 93 or 94, where he disclosed to the world that, that he had Alzheimer's and started to kind of pull back from public appearances and stuff. I, my sense is always he, he handled that with just incredible grace. He did. And, of course, that was a very sensitive topic, you know, that I had to deal with in my book. But I wanted it to be both revealing about those years but ultimately respectful. And so I tried to very carefully walk that fine line. But I think what people will find is – that, you know, five years into his post-presidency, he announces to the world he had Alzheimer's. And really the world at that point started saying goodbye to him. But I think you'd be surprised to know that for five more years, I was still saying good morning to him every day. And he continued to come to the office. And what a great example of living life to the fullest, as long as he possibly was able to, and going full throttle even into those final years of his life. And what a great impact, especially as a young person, that made on me, Um, not somebody who was looking to coast in his retirement years, but really really committed to making the best of them all the way to the very end. How'd you get the job in the first place? (laughs) Well, I was that nerdy little kid who loved politics and presidents and government. And so when Ronald Reagan came back to Los Angeles, I was a college student. I was a communications major, had, of course, studied everything about the great communicator. And fortunately, my dad raised me to believe somebody's got to have the job you want, and it might as well be you. (laughs) So I wrote a letter to the office of Ronald Reagan, was hired on the spot for what I thought would be a short-term internship. At the end of that internship, I was hired to work for the chief of staff as his executive assistant, and then Ronald Reagan's longtime executive assistant, he had had since before he was governor, retired, and they asked me to take that role. So an incredible opportunity, and what a privilege to serve this man in the final years of his life. The book is called The President Will See You Now. The author is Peggy Grandy, who is in Wisconsin to speak to the Republican Women's Association. And Peggy, I welcome to Wisconsin, and uh, this book is definitely a must-read, and I appreciate you joining me this afternoon thank you so much for having me on your program today i really appreciate it absolutely take care that is mm-hmm. that's peggy grandy and, and again i i as, as a general rule if you're a long-time listener to this program you know that i i i, I rarely do interviews in general um now we're going to have the governor on next week and things like that. And we had the conservative who's running for the state Supreme Court on yesterday. But And I almost never do author interviews. But when this opportunity presented itself, I want to jump all over it because it's just uh, for, for any of us – any of us who grew up in the fledgling conservative movement as it was developing in the mid-1970s, um, this is, I, I tell you, Ronald Reagan is the conservative icon, and um, Peggy had the opportunity to work as his executive assistant for a decade um, immediately after he left office. Um, her book, once again, is The President Will See You Now. It's 220. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 224, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, her name is Peggy Grandy, G-R-A-N-D-E. 
Peggy Grandy. The book uh, came out earlier this year. It's called The President Will See You Now, and uh, she's in Wisconsin. She's speaking to the Republican Women's Group up in Nina. But um, how cool would that be? How cool would that be? Um, Also, I mentioned Operation Honor, which is tomorrow afternoon, beginning sharply at 4.30. Doors open at 3.30. We start at 4.30. The program itself ends by, the program itself will end by 5 o'clock, and then there's the dinner and there's a musical performance afterwards. I neglected to mention, though, where it is. And I'm getting a number of emails from people saying, you said, where, where is this, if we want to go? It's at the Schutz, I think that's how you present it, pronounce it, S-C-H-U-E-T-Z Recreation Center, um, 1120 Baxter Street in the heart of downtown Waukesha. Wonderful facility. First couple of years, we did it at one of the high schools, and uh, now we're um, down there, and uh, just a great facility. So be sure to check that out. The featured speaker, like I say, I'm the MC, but the keynote speaker is Eric Beach, former U.S. Army, current president of Project Echelon. He's also an Ironman triathlete contestant on the NBC show Quest for Kona. How cool is all that? Just how cool is all that? So if you're out and about tomorrow afternoon, uh, stop by. It is always moving. And, and by the way, if you ever get a chance to hear the Great Lakes Band, that in and of itself is worth the price of admission. Forget the free meal. And, of course, there's no price of admission. So it's all free to get in there, but it is extremely entertaining. All right. I I mentioned this before. We're not going to have an opportunity to open up the phone lines on it because Pop Culture Corner is coming up in just a couple minutes. But Jesse Jackson, who has made, in my opinion, a a career and a decent living from shaking down businesses. Yes, that's what I said. Shaking down businesses. You know, going out and threatening, ah, we don't think that you're diverse enough. You know, we're... We're going to target you unless you do this, that, or the other thing. And in some cases, it involves putting money in Jesse's pocket. Jesse Jackson, I think, probably feels kind of, given the, the way the, the movement, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whatever, Jesse Jackson has kind of been sort of relegated to the, the dustbin of yesterday. Well, he's back shaking down BMW. He's in the news calling for a boycott of BMW. Um, Apparently, he demanded a meeting with the leader of BMW North America, uh, complaining that uh, the German automaker isn't diverse enough in its ranks. And uh, Jesse Jackson is now announcing that uh, people should stop buying BMWs until the company reveals more about current efforts to diversify its management. Okay, here, here's, here's what really is going on a lot of times with Jesse Jackson. What Jesse Jackson really wants is BMW, in my opinion, to like hire him or some shell company that he's involved with and pay them to advi- pay him slash the company to advise them on diversity issues. Um, so Jesse Jackson back in the news once again saying, okay, don't buy BMWs until they diversify their management. Um, I'm not quite in the market for a new vehicle right now. I, I will be probably in a few months once kind of things in my life settle down. Once that happens, you know what? I wasn't necessarily considering a BMW, but the fact that Jesse Jackson is telling people not to buy, that makes me guarantee that I'm going to go out and test drive a BMW. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 235. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I mentioned this earlier. We continue to get a number of texts. What, what's going on with gas prices? Gas is up to $2.79 or $2.71 in Grafton. What's going on? Well, the answer is twofold. First of all, um, 
you, you have Hurricane Harvey, and this is the residual effect of that. Um, some of the, the refineries were, were down for a while, and that's what's playing out. Secondly, the major pipeline, or one of the major pipelines that brought gasoline from the Gulf up to the Great Lakes has been down for servicing or severely restricted for servicing. It's now back up, operating full full bore, um, but that's only as of Wednesday. So what you're seeing is, I think what's going to be a temporary blip, my guess is gas prices go down a little bit, but it has gone up dramatically um, over the course of the last week, and um, gas prices are up about 50 or 60 cents a gallon over where they were at the same time last year, but I think things will get better. All right, if, if you're new to the program, we, we do this... Um, Right now, we're doing it on a Friday afternoon, the final segment or so of the program. We kind of put aside the heavy lifting and discussing the issues of the day and Republican tax reform and things like that. And we try to have a little bit of fun to go off and start the weekend with. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. And and typically, there will be something that happens in a given week that catches my attention, something that tickles my fancy that I hope will interest you as well. Sometimes we talk about movies. That was the genesis of this. When I started doing the show, this is the 20th season of the show this week when i started doing the show we used to call it friday afternoon at the movies now it is a, a broader sort of thing sometimes we talk about books sometimes we talk about movies sometimes sports sometimes food sometimes travel just you know whatever i think would be interesting today the story and the pop culture corner topic comes from the, the world of television something that we can all relate to I grew up, I admit, as, as a child, I, TV was the electronic babysitter for me, and, and to this day, um, it kind of drives my wife, one of the many things about me that kind of drive my wife crazy is that I, I have, I mean, I like to have the TV on all the time. It's kind of like that white noise sort of thing, and so it's always on kind of in the background, but... Over the years, I grew up watching a lot, a lot of television. You've seen good TV programs go, and you've seen good TV programs, you know, come, and some the good TV programs have gone. Um, they're always th- this effort to try to like, find what's going to be the newest thing. What's and right now, I think you can make a strong argument that we're living in a golden age of television because now you just don't have the big networks. Now you have all the cable networks that are out there with shows. Now you have um, also with live stream, with the streaming thing, you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon. So there's all these different shows that are out there that probably would have never in and of themselves be able to find find a market if they had to be on ABC or CBS or NBC. One of the great examples of that is um, a little cable channel called Epics that almost nobody has. They, they just ran the first season of uh, a series called Get Shorty, which is based loosely on the Elmore Leonard book, Get Shorty. There's the movie with John Travolta from about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, um, and it really has very little to do with that. But it it was really very good. It had Ray Romano in it. I I enjoyed it. They just finished the first season of that. But that show would never have made the air if it wasn't for the fact that you've got this obscure little cable network that's looking to do it. So there's a lot of great stuff that's on. At the same time, TV shows come and go all the time, and a lot of them – well, they go perhaps before their time, or we still miss them. Now, I was thinking about this because CBS All Access has announced that they are bringing back the the Twilight Zone. Now, this is the same network that uh, recently picked up Star Trek Discovery for a second season. Um, they're announcing that they're bringing back uh, the, the series. Now, 
the Twilight Zone started in 1959. There's been a couple uh, reboots of that over the course of the last, you know, 55, 58, 59 years. But CBS All Access says, hey, you know, we're going to bring back, we're going to do new Twilight Zone episodes. And for anybody who loves the original Twilight Zone, that's got to be, you know, really, really good news. But it got me thinking about Pop Culture Corner today, and I thought we'd do something fun from the world of TV. I call the segment Gone, but Not Forgotten. The TV show that's not on anymore that you really miss. That TV show that if you could go into the Wayback Machine or if you had a whole bunch of money and you could start producing it on your own, that the TV show that you would like to see come back. The TV show you miss the most. The TV show that is gone in your mind, but not forgotten. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I mentioned, we are also live streaming this on Facebook Live. So you go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can see us as we do this. 414-799-1620. We're going to talk TV. Gone, but not forgotten. And my advice during these segments is always the same. Our phone lines tend to jam up, so Number one, call early, and I'll try to get to as many calls as I can. And number two, um, don't overthink it. I mean, typically, going with your first instinct is best. All right, we're back with your calls in just a moment. Gone but not forgotten, the TV show that you wish was coming back. They're bringing the Twilight Zone back. It's 2.41. This is Jeff Wagner. 2.43, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. My producer, Gru, just made me feel really old. Craig in Waukesha. Craig, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. The TV uh-huh. show gone but not that gone but not forgotten the one you miss. Uh, Gunsmoke. Okay, Craig. Just so you understand, Gunsmoke, which is of course one of the longest running TV shows in history, on for a couple decades. My 28 year old producer says, "What is this Gunsmoke? I've never heard of it before." <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I I don't know what to say to that. You know, James Arness and um, wow, Amanda Blake is Kitty. How? How can how can anybody how can you be twenty eight years old and not know about gun smoke for goodness sakes? Well, I mean, I, I grew up. My heroes are cowboys. And yeah, <laughs> I like the fact that their their values and they're good guys and bad guys. And, uh, uh, yeah. There wasn't a lot of confusion about uh, right. No, I, exactly. Thanks for calling. No gun smoke. It, it was one of the longest running TV shows in in history. James Arness played Matt Dillon. My producer is just looking at me blankly, like you know. Uh, I guess time marches on. 414-799-1620. By the way, we are live streaming this on Facebook Live um, and our live stream, and we're getting lots of responses there, and our text line is exploding as well. Let's talk to Dan in Wauwatosa. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Dan. Yeah, hi. My vote would be for, I, this is no gun smoke, uh, <laughs> 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. Well, 30 Rock, I, I mean... You know, that was one where a lot of times I think TV shows last, you know, last too long maybe. But I, I thought that was still funny at the end. I, I thought they still had some mileage. I mean, Tina Fey, that's really the show that made her a star. Uh, we still watch it. Uh, and uh, even though, you know, you don't agree with all the politics of those actors, uh, they're... Uh their show is funny. It sure was. No, it, it was. No, thanks for the call. Okay, 414-799-1620. Uh, let's see. Our text line has exploded here. Oh, 
I'm only 33. I love Gunsmoke, too. My favorite show, the one that I miss, Gone But Not Forgotten, would be The Honeymooners. Uh, Chris texts MASH. Uh, let's see. Um, Homicide, Life on the Street. You know, that was the precursor to, like, The Wire and all. That was a show, um, absolutely. The Office. You know, that's another one that I think, you know, actually had legs. Um, by that, I mean, you know, could have gone on more. A lot of people really miss MASH. You know, the interesting thing is the Korean War lasted, what, three, three and a half years. The TV show MASH was on for, what, 12, 13, 14 seasons. 414-799-1620, gone but not forgotten. Mike in Madison. Hi, Mike. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, let me start by saying I'm so glad you moved to the afternoon because now I can hear you through the day. So thank you. For thank, no, thank time. you, and and uh, I'm very glad about it too. Trust me. Yeah. When when I wake up on my own at seven o'clock in the morning, and I, <laughs> it's just great. I, but thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I very much like it. Uh, cheers. cheers. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I miss it so much. You know, the the first few years too with, with Shelley Long and yes. you know Ted yeah, Danson and that. Nice. You know, it was just, um, th- that was just a matter of fact, I was talking about that with somebody last night because, you know, you, you, you had that NBC lineup where you had Cheers and Seinfeld and Friends um, and, and ER. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah. No, thanks for going. No, you can't, can't go wrong with Cheers. Let's see. Um, on our Facebook Live posts, um, let's see. Jeff says Hill Street Blues. Um yeah, I mean, Hill Street Blues, that was another one that um, you'd love to see it make a comeback. Ted says, Green Acres. <laughs> that was, I used to like Green Acres, and then, I mean, it was just silly, you know, just um, with uh, what Ava Gabor and Eddie Albert. It was just kind of a silly sort of thing, and then there was one year that CBS went through a, a change in ownership, and they, they said they canceled the Beverly Hillbillies, they canceled all those shows. The thing was they canceled everything with a, uh, with a tree in it. It ended up getting canceled. All right, here's a blast from the past. Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How about Petticoat Junction? Come ride the little train that is going round the track to the <laughs> junction. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's run by Kate. You know, you know originally, uh, B. Benaderet. This is I. This is uh, you know B. Benaderet who you know passed away, uh, but she was the original. You know, she was the original owner of that. Um, she was the woman who did the voice of. Um, Betty Rubble on the Flintstones. Be oh, Benadere. Yeah, here's, here's one that was only played once a year. Don Knotts, if you remember this. Now, this wasn't a series. It was one show. It was called The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Well, right, the movie. Yeah, that was a... Right, no, thank you. Yeah, that was a movie. Yeah, no, thank Right, after... Okay, this is... Again, people listen to this and they think, Jeff, how do you have all this useless information crammed into your head? But it's true. The, after Don Knotts left the Andy... I read a lot. After Don Knotts left the Andy Griffith show in, like... 64 or 65 he signed a, a, a he signed a, a contract to do a whole bunch of, of movies and one was the ghost and mr chicken which is still one of the movies that are around 414-799-1620 gene in germantown hi gene you're on 620 wtmj yeah battlestar galactica mm-hmm. the original the original one okay because you know they've done a couple of reboots of that but you're talking about the original one yeah yeah what lauren green yeah yeah, I really miss that one. Yeah, I thought, um, matter of fact, I kind of, a, a lot of times the reboots don't do a lot for me, but I, I watched the reboot of that. I, I think that that's that's a really, that's a good show. You're right. I would miss, a little bit of science fiction goes a long way in TV shows, but that was a really good one. I agree with you. No, thank, thanks for the call. And I, I actually, I liked the reboot of that 
as well. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in West Dallas. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Welcome back to the afternoon show. Thank you, sir. Um, mine is the odd couple. It kind of reminds me of me and my wife, where I'm a slob and say, "Felix Unger," you know. <laughs> yeah, she, you, you're Oscar Madison, and, and she was feeling, and she's Felix Unger, huh? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I might be in that situation as well. Th- thanks for the call. My, uh, my wife just kind of looks at me, and I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're trying to work this out. She says, "Don't worry, Jeff. I love you, anyways." Um, all let's see on our text line here. All in the family. Um, that's definitely one of those. Quantum Leap. Yeah, I I used to love Quantum Leap as well. That's another one that I think that you could bring back. Casey writes, I miss sex in the city. Um, I never really watched that one this much. Here's one, The Wonder Years. Um, he writes, not so much for the show, but for the family gathering together, um, you know, and when we heard Joe Cocker sing the intro. I thought The Wonder Years was just absolutely outstanding. And, um... Everybody would have liked to have had a girlfriend like Winnie Cooper. Sam writes, Alias Smith and Jones. That's another Western that goes back quite a way. Um, let's see, Mission Impossible. We're getting a lot of that as well. 414-799-1620. Karen in Manitowoc, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, you're um, gone but not forgotten. That's right. Barney Miller and also WKRP. Oh, well, anybody in radio loves WKRP. That's, <laughs> and anybody loves that. Dr. Johnny Fever with Howard Hesseman. But, but yeah. Barney Miller, you know, Hal Linden, and what a great cast that was. That was, that was like on ABC, I want to say it was like on Wednesday or maybe Thursday night. Wednesday nights, I think. But I love that one as well. Yeah. No, yeah. Barney Miller, a- a- absolutely outstanding. Uh, let's see. Tony in McGuanago. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Tony. Doing? Good. Okay. Gone but not forgotten. Uh, taxi. Oh. I really enjoyed the humor and the, the uh, characters there. Yeah. They were excellent. Yeah. I mean, Judd Hirsch, who played, you know, the lead character, and um, I, I never realized that until I saw the Andy Kaufman movie and and you know read the books about him, I never realized how much he hated <laughs> that show. He he hated being you know the, the, that role that playing Latka that made him a superstar. He just absolutely despised it. But he was tremendous in that as well. And of course, um, oh the guy from Back to the Future who played Reverend Jim, um, whose name is escaping me at the moment. But yeah, oh yeah, just a taxi, just a, a, another, just another absolutely tremendous. Show. Let's talk to Rich in Eagle. Hi, Rich. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Gone but not forgotten. What's the movie? What's the TV well, show? I'm aging myself on this one, but <laughs> um, it used to be a show called Lost in Space. Oh, sure, with Bill Mooney and uh, Angela Cartwright, and yeah, right. The, I. I love that show. I, I still watch that when it's on. You know, it'll, you'll find it on some obscure science fiction network or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's just when I was little, <laughs> that I couldn't wait for Saturday or Sunday mornings for that to come on, and it was, it's just an awesome show. Oh, it it was. I mean, right. I mean, it was. You know, that was. It's interesting because that move that came on about the same time as Star Trek, and actually Lost in Space did a lot better in the ratings at the time than, than Star Trek did. And of course, Lost in Space hasn't aged well. And you watch some of the shows, and it's it, it's kind of cheesy props and all and things like that. But I I loved Lost in Space. Okay, on our text line, let's see. Er, 
getting a lot of hits for um, ER. Uh, Mike and Fond du Lac texts, I absolutely love this series, Monk. Um, let's see. Uh, the late David Carradine, Kung Fu. Uh, that was another one of these great shows as well. Airwolf, that's from Brad in Hubertus. All these are great. Uh, let's talk to Heidi in Milwaukee. Heidi, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. No, Hi, Heidi. My two favorite genres. Uh, China Beach, I loved it because I was in the USO in that Vietnam era. And uh, West Wing, I loved uh, them. I, I saw why they had to... Uh, cancel it because they couldn't reelect that president over <laughs> and over again. Right, and and they didn't want to pay the the cast members. Kind of went through their first contract and they didn't want to pay the money. Let Let's go back to China Beach. You know, Heidi, I think that I think that is one of the best TV series ever. And I think you know it ran three years. Very um, very underrated, but. Um, uh, Dana Delaney, who played the McMurphy character, I think that's one of the greatest female roles in TV history. And, it, and I, a lot of people just aren't familiar with it. And it's it's a must see. You can get it on DVD now, and I, I just love it. Yeah, and you see you see the um, hooker, the uh, the business girl on right. some of the shows now. What is it? Uh, I forgot what her name is. Uh, but uh, I loved it. I loved right. the, the the war part about it. I love them coming to China Beach and doing the R and R. I love that. It was so real, Vietnam, that if it came back again, half the Vietnam vets would watch it. Yep. No, thanks for calling. Also, and your your point about West Wing, I I, I thought West Wing kind of jumped the shark. West Wing was another one of these shows that I think after about three years they had told all the different stories that were there. But even though little Martin Sheen goes a long way with me, and, of course, this was like the, the, the... you know the, the liberal idealist politics. I, I watched it for the first couple of years, and that told me what a good show it was. Okay, we're out of time. Lots of great ones. We're going to revisit this. But if you're just tuning in the program, we do this in this segment on Fridays every week. So check it out. It's two fifty-five.